Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we talk about magic, herbalism, and more. I'm Shannon. And I'm Nick. And we're your co-hosts. So this week, I have a very special planty topic. I'm talking about valerian. Ooh, so drowsy. Ooh, I'm so sleepy. (laughs) Um, So actually, I think it's very appropriate that we're filming this week's nighttime-themed episode at nighttime for me it is like 9 30 here uh so and it's it's 7 30 here it's like solidly like dusk at this point so it's it's night y'all it's dark outside it's spoopy season almost it's like, all and that that's kind of where i wanted to lean with this week as well so i am talking about nighttime things i'm talking about succubi which is the multiple of succubus, if y'all did not know, and incubi, and the Greek god of sleep, hypnos. So it's getting sleepy in here. It's it's sleepy time. We're <laughs> we're we're talking we're talking about nighttime things. Yeah, and Nick had this really cool idea to cover some you know magical mythology like mythological creatures, and so I think you guys are going to be really digging it. But I'm super excited that this is the kickoff episode. But Without further ado, guys, Valerian, right? Because I feel like Valerian, especially like even among people who aren't super into herbalism, I think it's a pretty common like sleepy time plant, right? I think so many people are familiar with it. You can buy like Valerian capsules at fucking CVS. Like it's not exactly some like, you know, low key plant. And, you know, I think it's a really fun one to sort of kick off talking about this like sleepy kind of spooky sode. Um, and most of us have also heard the tale of the Pied Piper, right? You know, the one who played his flute and led the rats out of town forever. You know who I'm talking about, right, Nick? Oh, I, I, <laughs> one of my favorite uh, young adult books that I read back in the day was called Breath. And oh it my was- Oh God, it's so good. Y- you remember that one? I think- Oh yeah, I do. Gosh, uh, I, I think it was- Mindy back in the day uh shout out to Mindy who like recommended it to me but um yeah such a good book and it's like a fictionalized version of the story of the Pied Piper and is very good so any of y'all out there with kids get it for your kids and even if you're just like me and you enjoy just reading young adult fiction like Maybe check it out. I'm sorry. We are young adults. I feel like you're a young adult until you're a retiree. So, <laughs> and, yeah. and, and then you start reading like Robert Pattinson and Stephen King. Yeah, exactly. Exa- well, I mean, I read Stephen King, but I'm a fucking glutton for punishment. But so the Pied Piper. Some say that the Pied Piper must have been familiar with Valerian and put it in his pocket or rubbed himself with it because rats love the smell. And surely it must have been the Valerian, not the music that enticed the rats to follow him. Ooh, that is fun. So fun. Valerian (laughs) has a very sharp smell, though. It kind of smells like gym socks. I was going to say it almost has a cheesy quality to it. So maybe that's what gets the rats going. Yeah, I feel like we're very much on the same on the same like page with that. But, you know, even if you're not into it for its like rat enticing powers, Valeriana officinalis has like a long ass history of use as a sedative too. And I'm talking like back to Hippocrates long ass time. Um, so let's talk about this bad boy, 
Valerian is a perennial uh, to zone four, and it prefers sun or partial shade. And there are actually more than 200 varieties which grow in Britain, Northern Europe, China, and South and North America. Today, though, we're going to be talking about Valeriana officinalis, which is most likely a native of Britain and Northern Europe, including Scandinavia. So I want to talk about identification purposes first, because I think that's something super important with herbs. So you guys should know that this plant can reach five or six feet tall, actually, and it has opposite compound leaves with seven to 10 leaflet pairs per little branch, and the stem is hollow. The flowers that grow on it are small and they're pinkish white, and they smell actually awesome, which is funny when you know that valerian root itself, like I said, to me, it smells like gym socks, Nick's saying cheesy, it's got a funk. But the flowers smell absolutely divine, which I think is very funny. So you want to grow this plant, right? This is one that likes moist soil. And again, I mentioned that it'll grow in like partial shade or full sun. So it's going to be a little bit more flexible. Um, But because it does like that moist soil, it's a good plant to pair with like other moisture loving herbs. Think things like meadowsweet or catnip. This isn't necessarily the best like next door neighbor for your like rosemary and sage type plants. So just keep that in mind, especially if you're building out like a bigger herb box. You want to kind of like put plants that like similar moisture levels together That way you're not having to drive yourself absolutely insane doing like micro watering in tiny little like plant areas. (laughs) It's kind of a pain in the ass. Um, So the good news for you winter climate people is this thing is cold hardy. Even in super harsh winter climates like Chicago harsh. Well, I mean, yeah, you said Scandinavia. like Right, exactly. (laughs) These plants, though, will they'll just totally die back to the ground in winter and then reemerge in spring. So like, bully for you guys, I know so often when we're talking about herbs, we're just like, and this is a perennial plant unless it gets cold. Um, But this one's for you guys. And it's good. We'll talk about later, you need it to live a little while. So when you're adding this to your garden, you're going to start with either a purchase plant or start seeds indoors and then set the seedlings out two to four weeks before your last frost. I actually did find a start for my valerian at a local nursery. And really, that's the ideal way to go for things that you're growing for roots, because those do take a bit of time to develop into something like juicy and potent. And I did mention earlier, it sets like pretty fragrant flowers in early summer. But you do want to cut those off to encourage like bigger rhizomes and prevent the plant from becoming invasive because uh, valerian spreads like it gets its sleepiness all over your garden. So just like, be aware. So after two years, your valerian is going to grow into a clump that's about a foot and a half wide. And the reason I mentioned this here, and I kind of prefaced it a little bit earlier is that two years is actually how long you need to wait to harvest roots. Unfortunately, this is plant that takes like a little bit more time. And you can use the leaves in a tea for like a more mild effect. So the plant can still be useful while you're letting them mature. But most people really are going for that like amazing root. Um, So, you know, you people that are in places like Chicago, places that get real winters, that's why it's so good that it'll live for multiple seasons. Because if it wouldn't, you would never fucking get the roots to be worth anything. So, yay! Nature finds a way. Um, When you're harvesting a plant for its roots, you're generally going to go with a fall harvest, though, um, because you can think of it as like the medicinal value, like falls back into the ground, right? Like this is when plants retreat. They pull their nutrition back into the soil, into their roots, into their rhizomes for the winter months. And that's when the roots are the most potent because all of the goodies and all of that energy that was used in the springtime and in the summer to make flowers is getting pulled back into the roots. So 
things fall down in the autumn. So think about that way. And you'll want to um, dry them somewhere outdoors if possible, because they don't exactly smell great. And like, especially when you're drying them, that like funk is quite pungent. Um, And if it's not possible to do it somewhere outside, like maybe find like a a guest closet or something that you're not going to have to use immediately. Because to me, I just imagine if I had it in my kitchen, I'd constantly think I needed to like take the trash out. I feel like it would play with my brain. No, I, I think I think it's funny because I think, like, like not to scare anyone away from using Valyrian because I will say, like, I buy the little pre-done Valyrian root capsules, yeah, to, to help me sleep, and I have even done the thing where you open them up and make the tea, which does smell like it, it stinks, like a cheesy foot. Um, <laughs> But actually, the taste, though, it smells so much worse than it tastes, which I know- that's a very good point. Which I know people always say that about things that are stinky, but in the case of Valyrian, it actually just, it's, it doesn't have much flavor to it. It's, it's all stank, no flav. No, I, and as someone who, like, I love most cheeses, but I'm not a huge fan of, like, blue cheese or, like, the extra funky cheeses, because to me, they end up tasting kind of bitter. And so even as someone that has that kind of palate, like, I can drink Valerian just fine. So it really is true. Um, So let's, like, let's talk about this plant for medicinal uses, right? Like, I already mentioned that Hippocrates was into this, but Valerian actually has over 2,000 years of documented use as an herbal medicine. Like... Humans have been fucksin' with valerian for a long time. Anglo-Saxon and medieval herbalists um, mentioned valerian in a ton of their writings, and it was around the Middle Ages that valerian became known as, like, all heal, um, because it's really amazing for so much stuff. The plant was, like, at that time, the best-known treatment of epilepsy, and it was the primary treatment of epilepsy actually up until the 19th century, which is relatively recent. Um, Valerian was also given to soldiers for quote unquote shell shock during the first world war. We now call that PTSD. Um, but it really is like this powerful sedative. And today it's actually used in more than a hundred over the counter tranquilizers in Germany alone. And it's the number one non-prescription sedative in all of Europe. And this plant really does have an awesome advantage over other sedative drugs because it doesn't have really any discernible side effects and it's not addictive. It also doesn't make you super groggy the next day, like some plants and herbs and drugs that you can take to sleep. Um, Plus, most importantly, no one sleep eats on valerian, which is a thing with some sleeping medication, uh, all sorts of weird shit that people get up and about and do during the middle of the night when they're taking sleeping drugs. So, and it scares me, you know, because I forget which one it was where people would drive, like get in their cars and drive on the shit. It's like, yeah, that's that's a that's a no. That's terrifying. That's a no from me, dog. I do not. (laughs) As someone who like has sleptwalked, even as an adult, I've had sleepwalking incidents. I've always been so scared to take sleeping meds because. I took one sleeping medication in college because I've always been a poor sleeper. Nick has been in a room with like me and my Nana and my sister. We will talk to each other in our sleep. Like we're a weird sleeping family. Um, Also, if you're ever at my house and you just wake up at 3 a.m., 
Nana will probably be awake. So you can just go watch TV with her. Um, <laughs> but one time I, I did get prescribed. I forget what it was. It was some sleeping medication just to like help me try and sleep through the night. And the first night I took it, I fucking had night terrors. Like I woke up and had really intense sleep paralysis and I was like, no more. But because of the way like valerian and things like skullcap and chamomile work when they're helping you relax into the sleep you don't necessarily have those super freaky side effects so um when most people think of valerian though the first thing they do think of usually is sleep right like for falling asleep a good night's sleep and like i said for waking up without that usual grogginess it is really like one of the best and gentlest ways to like help assist with your sleep when used properly. Like for me, I even have to watch it with like chamomile because, and I'm not talking like the chamomile you get in tea bags, which is like great and fine. But when you get like dried, like bulk chamomile from like an herb store and you brew a strong chamomile tea, that shit knocks me out like a brick to the head. And like, sometimes I have a hard time waking up in the morning, but I don't get that with the, with Valerian. Um, But Valerian, in addition to being a badass sleep aid is also a nervine. It's hypnotic. It's antispasmodic. It's an amenagogue. It's a nervous system tonic. It's a sedative. It's stomachic, expectorant, and it's got a mild adenine and a smooth like muscle relaxant. So it's also like really great for things like your digestive system and that combination of being like a nervine and like that nervous system tonic with being like a smooth muscle relaxant and like really beneficial for the stomach. Like this is a great plant for people like Virgos or people with strong Virgo placement that tend to have imbalances in the gut um, due to things like anxiety, because this is going to help like soothe the nerves and also soothe a gut. So big plug for all of our Virgo babies. It really is like a plant with a lot of uses. Like So in addition to sleep, it's used for things like anxiety, stress, it can help with the treating addiction. Um, So like maybe you're trying to kick smoking cigarettes, valerian tea at night could be something to maybe help with that. Um, It's good for convulsions like gas pain, um, hyperactivity, intestinal cramping, migraines, aggression, nervous exhaustion, coughs, epilepsy, the flu. And when I'm talking aggression, I mean like So for me, one of the ways that my anxiety manifests is I get fucking cranky. Like, it'll be like when someone breathes wrong, it just makes me angry. That's the type of aggression that Valerian is really good for. It's like for people that maybe have a prevalence of that like Martian energy in their system. You know, if you look at your chart and you've got like some strong, intense Mars placement, like maybe you're like me and you get like a bit pissy sometimes you you know how i would describe it like the waking effects of valerian root because i i have taken it during the day for uh stress relief um yeah yeah is uh, and i i you know a a disclaimer not a doctor right we're not doctors of course just so you guys know not doctor Um, we still have not become doctors since the last time we told you we weren't doctors (laughs) <laughs> but it's, it's, um, I have taken clonopin before for my yeah. anxiety. And I would say it's like the waking effects of Valyrian for like stress relief really do kind of remind me of like a very mild. Benzo. Like a benzo. Like a benzo. Yeah. yeah. So, so if people out there are a bit more familiar with like the, the chemical side of pharmacology, whereas we're talking about the herbal side of pharmacology. It's like, it's like an herbal benzo. 
Yeah. And it's just, it's not as intense. It doesn't make you as fatigued as benzos can make you. So there's like that good balance that I think sometimes herbs have over prescription medications. In some instances, again, I'm a both and I take my medication, but I also use herbs to support me. Um, But yeah, I think it's just Mostly I wanted to point out that valerian is good for so much more than just sleep. But in particular, I think for people that have a lot of anxiety tend to maybe get a little bit like snappish mm-hmm. when they're angry. Like valerian can be a really good thing to think about there. Um, and the easiest way to prepare it is a decoction. So a decoction is really the difference between a decoction and a tea is a decoction is for things that you're going to need to boil or simmer for longer. So things like roots, um, barks, so like slippery elm bark, dandelion root, valerian root, um, star anise, things that are a little bit harder that you won't necessarily be able to extract fully in a tea. So that's when you're hearing herbalists talk about decoctions, that's what they mean, just boiling it. And so for this one, you're going to want to simmer the roots, And I never do a hard boil when I'm making a decoction, really just like a steady simmer in a pot with a lid on it for 15 to 30 minutes, and then let that cool down, strain it out and sip the tea. So for me, I prefer to get valerian from my bulk herb store and they have it in kind of like, basically it looks like little pellets because it's just the chopped and dried roots. Um, If you can find it that way, I think that's the best way because it's it's a little less messy um, and the smell isn't quite as pungent immediately. If that's something that bothers you, of course the powder is totally fine and it'll work with the powder. You're not going to necessarily need to do the decoction route, but again, if it's ever possible, I always suggest just trying to get as close to the whole herb as possible. Um, So since we also love baths and baths and foot soaks are like super making a comeback in the herbalism world. So I wanted to plug that you can totally use valerian in that too. So to make a valerian bath, which is good for things like, you know, if you have like achy joints, or even if you just want something to help like generally chill your system out, right? You can put like the herb in an old sock and toss it in the tub. Of course, you can use like a fancy tea strainer or something, but like we all have old mismatched socks lying around, right? So you can totally use old like clean, of course, but like socks. Not not that it will matter for the smell. JK. JK. (laughs) Not JK. Very serious. Won't matter for the smell. But you can totally just use old socks to like do herbal infusions in the tub, just like a plug there. Um, But I also read a great recommendation for foot soaks that I'm very stoked to try. And the suggestion, and I guess you can really do this in the bathtub too, is to add a bag of marbles, including a few of like the shooters or those bigger marbles and rub your feet over the marbles, like in the water. Cause it'll hit. Right. Right. Cause it'll hit like your reflexology points. Um, And I just was like, Oh my God, that sounds like that would feel fucking phenomenal i'm so into trying this so if you were going to do like a foot soak with valerian you could also add like some mint for circulation and a teaspoon or so of like ground mustard to help like open your pores and you just put all of that in a basin that would hold both of your feet and add water that's as warm as you can tolerate and then like sit and relax until the water isn't comfortable anymore and then just like have a towel handy dry off your feet if you haven't done a foot soak in a moment like let me just encourage you because there is nothing that feels more wonderfully self-care oriented than like a 
fucking foot soak. Um, so let's talk magic. There is definitely some fun lore around Valyrian as we've already kind of hinted at with the Pied Piper, right? So the Nordic goddess Hertha is said to have used Valyrian as a whip to encourage the stag she rode to greater speeds. Uh, As a side note, the stag's bridle was said to be made of hops. The ancient Greeks would hang bundles of Valyrian in their homes, especially in their windows, to keep evil entities from entering. The Celts believed hanging it in their homes would keep lightning from striking. There are a lot of lightning-related herb myths. Again, I'm just going to say... I wouldn't put all of your hopes and herbs for being anti-lightning. <laughs> um, some people claimed that if Valerian was thrown where people, especially a couple, were fighting, they would cease immediately. It's also claimed to help tame the wildest of beasts. And if worn by a woman, it is said that men would follow like children. Uh, so this is obviously like a super dynamic plant. And I don't think anyone will be surprised that it's considered feminine. I feel like a lot of this like lore in particular has a very feminine energy to it. Uh, it's associated with the planet Venus and the element water. And it's really useful in magic that's focused on things like love, sleep purification and protection and i've seen other suggestions so i have to say it can be used in a wands and fronts fave a sleep sachet oh my god it's time to drink she said sleep sachet (laughs) she said sleep sachet and i feel like we definitely had to in an episode about sleepy times and night times um again just a reminder that valerian does smell kind of rough so Maybe including it with something like lavender that would help cover that up. Um, Also, for this purpose, I would definitely want you to try and get the roots, not the powder form, because like, I promise you, you don't want valerian powder all under your pillow. Like, ew. Uh, And with that old wives tale about like a fighting couple, I think you could definitely consider valerian and spells to like help soothe a lover's quarrel. Like maybe you got into a spat and you're wanting to like do a little bit of like love work to help everybody heal after the argument has come to pass some valerian, maybe some powdered valerian in a candle dressing. Um, Valerian root powdered is also sometimes used as a grave as like a supplement for graveyard dust or graveyard dirt. Um, So the recipe I see a lot is like a combination of mullen and valerian root instead of getting dirt from a graveyard for spell work. Um, I generally don't think it's respectful to take things from burial sites unless it's someone you have a close personal tie with and you've asked permission, you know, you've like done the spirit work. Um, But again, to like be safe and extra respectful, I think using an herbal replacement for graveyard dirt and spell work is a really great way to go. You don't have to worry about, you know, pissing off the dead because we're not about that life. Um, we we are not. And I will actually be talking about that a little later on too. Yeah. So my sources today, growveg.com. I have a new herb book that I got from my fabulous neighbors, Nicole and Brecken for my birthday called Healing with Plants, the Chelsea Physic Garden Herbal Book, um, theherbalacademy.com. And of course, Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs. Which, you know, it's like every week. You might as well not even mention it at this point. Right. I'm like, y'all, we're using Cunningham. But again, I feel like it's such a good, like, if you're a witch that's interested in working with plants, it's so good to just have it around as, like, a reference guide. Because I tend to just compare it to other stuff that I read. Because so often I find that Cunningham really has, like, compiled stuff from, like, cross cultures and all sorts of different resources. So, 
I definitely just recommend buying it. I think I got it on Amazon for like 15 bucks. So it's definitely one I think worth investing in. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's hardly an investment. You know, that's yeah, like... True. It's like true a... Dad. That's not even two packs of Barbara Lights, so... You know, <laughs> in cigarette terms, it's barely going to get you through a week. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> um, but no, you guys. With the the Nidosphere episode is what we were unofficially calling this because of Which the uh, I love. <laughs> uh, but I mean, you know, don't sue us, Adventure Time, for stealing that. Uh, but so since Shannon was already taking us to the world of Valyrian in her topic this week, I did decide. It's close enough to being fall that I wanted to do something kind of spooky related to sleep. So, of course, I'm going to be talking about sleep paralysis demons and succubi. Uh, And so this is also the kickoff to what I thought would be a really fun segment, which could be ongoing. So please let us know if you guys like this idea uh, on various kinds of demons and magical creatures and ghosts and all kinds of things. That show up because, you know, when we do the research for these various topics uh, about mythology and gods and goddesses, uh, you know, you see all these cool magical creatures as like details in the story, like little side characters and stuff. Um, So I thought it would be very fun to just kind of talk about magical creatures as a segment. So I 1000% agree. I just have to say I'm so stoked. Yeah, no, I mean, and we have some some pretty cool ideas brewing for this segment, but kind of kicking it off and kind of kicking off spooky season with our nighttime themed episode, uh, we thought like a demon would be fun. So uh, succubi and incubi, as we are familiar with them today, actually come from a very old Jewish and Kabbalistic myth which says this particular flavor of demon are the descendants of Lilith, which in some of the stories, Lilith is Adam's first wife and then becomes the queen of the demons. And sometimes she just is the original she-demon and kind of just a bit of a badass, you know, like a like a self-made woman from the pits of hell, uh, just like all of us. Um, so, but... So succubi, though, they're sneaky spirits. They were said to sneak into your bedchambers in the dead of night and do sexy time with you uh, while you're paralyzed, thereby (laughs) draining you of both your sanity and your vital energies. A.K.A. you spunk. Yeah, you you jizz. Uh, (laughs) Dirty. It's pretty dirty, y'all. But so the old, like, Lilith-based Hebrew myths reportedly actually come from much older myths out of Egyptian culture and sort of Arabian, like the Arabian Peninsula, uh, as we know it today, uh, where they were sort of seen as, like, like genies, like, as a similar flavor to, like, the djinn. Um, like, like just kind of loose spirits out in the world causing mayhem. Um, but both of these mythologies of the succubus were very different than how they're portrayed in pop culture today, which is like, you know, this over the top, like porn star succubus, right? Uh, the, the BC version was very spooky, 
So a common description was that the succubus would have the body of a woman, but the talons and legs of a giant chicken. So, I mean, you know, if you imagine that in your head, that's pretty horrifying, right? Uh, but also kind of the, the classic demon look. Uh, so like a long serpent-like scaly tail, maybe some goat horns, you know, like a cartoon demon, right? Uh, so that's that was part of it as well. Uh, so the sexy succubus, though, comes about during the time of the Dark Ages and witch hunts, when admittedly the uh, the divine feminine was definitely sort of up against the ropes and the patriarchy was making some big wins at this time. So yeah, so much has changed since then. Oh yeah. Uh, (laughs) But, but so in a sense, you know, just being a sexy lady was evil enough. So the demons didn't have to also be spooky looking or like scary because it was scary enough that it was a pretty lady. Um, And, you know, I think we, we do kind of have to keep in mind how like puritanical these people are when we look at sort of like what kept them up at night like they're terrified that a sexy lady demon might fuck the life out of them and honestly they should be so goddamn lucky (laughs) right 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 (laughs) um but no it, it really was like a big thing for them like i mean obviously now we know that this is probably sort of a misunderstood case of sleep paralysis so i think the interesting thing to note here is that like the dream characters that people see with sleep paralysis they come out of your your own mind so like your fears your experiences so i think it's funny that these like religious zealot dark age witch hunter type people were just like terrified of beautiful women yeah, it's so funny because it's like for a while my sleep paralysis like creatures were very Babadook adjacent because right, you know, right, right. There's a lot of like the top, the man in the, with the top hat that a lot of people see, mm-hmm. which is like so much less cool than a sexy fucking demon that wants to bone you. Like, I would welcome that. That really? would be a, a much much nicer sleep paralysis hallucination. Right. Uh, but yeah, but it was it was a, a pretty big fear for people during the Dark Ages, and it was right up there with witches. So succubi and incubi are mentioned in both King James the First's demonology, which did also help kickstart the witch hunting craze, and the uh, more classic demon hunting book, the Malium Maleficarum, the Hammer of the Witches. Uh, so this was like big scary stuff to those people. And, uh, you know, but, like, that's not all that there is to know about succubi and their male counterparts, the incubi, because there was, like, even more kind of fun details added in the, the Dark Age version compared to the original Hebrew version. Uh, so, like, the newer version of the succubi would do their business with a man and then shapeshift into an incubus and then do their business with a lady using the man's semen which they have retained inside of themselves to get the lady pregnant with what basically amounts to a changeling demon baby 
Um, and I'm, I'm also just curious as to where the fuck this movie is. Because <laughs> I would watch it. It would be a cool movie, right? Right? So uh, there were also legends coming out around this time uh, that the succubi would be possessing the bodies of dead men to do the same thing and then using dead man sperm. Because the thing is, is there was a very strongly held belief uh, among these Dark Age people who believed that demons were everywhere, that demons could not um, copulate with humans. So they would have to use human semen, uh, even if it was from a dead person. Um, but it was also, I mean, you know, they would use this as kind of a scapegoat too for babies that were born with birth defects or that were stillborn. You know, they'd say, oh, well, you know, I was visited by a succubus or an incubus and, or a succubus possessing a dead man or, um, and really, I mean, the whole thing is just very ridiculous and, and, and witch hunty. Because yeah. it because it ends up, you know, instead of having this this demon, this succubus that's doing it, it's it's actually the witch. It ends up being part of the witch hunt. So like the witches are summoning these demons to suck the life out of the, the people that they don't like, basically. So it gets kind of tied in with witch hunting. It's like if you've been visited by a succubus or an incubus, then then you are being targeted by a witch and now you have to figure out who what poor single old woman probably in your community is the witch now um yeah and i i've always been so fascinated with like the old folklore around things like the way that they used to explain birth issues like birth defects or stillborns like it's a very interesting like historical rabbit hole to go into as well oh absolutely um, it's just, and all, it's and always all been of, fascinating all of the superstitions that you would do to make sure that that didn't happen as yeah. well there's like a lot of there's a lot of prep involved because you're like oh we have to keep the demons at bay because child you know but i mean in a time when young healthy women would die during childbirth i mean that's scary yeah i mean and that's still a reality unfortunately for mostly more women of color than anyone but the u.s has the highest mortality rate for uh mothers of any industrialized country so be safe out there uterus owners <laughs> indeed um but you know let's let's end let's end our talk about succubi on kind of a fun note because this is uh historically documented uh and it involves the top guy of christianity himself the Pope. So, legend has it that Pope Sylvester II was involved with a succubus in an intimate way. Her name was Meridiana, and they were together for most of his life, and he made a deal with her, and, you know, sort of by default, Satan, to gain his high status in the Catholic Church. But he felt so bad about this deal that he confessed before he died so he could repent for his sin as sort of like a last-ditch effort to get into heaven, which is batshit crazy, right? But it is literally a matter of historical record. This is from the official Wikipedia page, which does cite very sound historical sources. 
Uh, he really said that that happened, and he said that that was why he was the Pope. So, apparently, succubi aren't just a negative thing, you know, because, like, getting to be the Pope in the year 999 was basically like being the King of Europe, which I think would be a pretty good gig. I mean, I feel like this is also now my favorite Pope. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's fucking metal. Yeah. Again, he... where is this movie? Where is this HBO miniseries? <laughs> the, the HBO miniseries? The the Pope? But uh, just the Pope in the year 1000? Uh, yeah. Just banging it out with a succubus every night? Fuck yeah. I would so watch that. And uh, she's helping <laughs> him take over the Catholic Church. I mean, I would like to humbly suggest that we have Jude Law play the Pope again because yeah. he was a hot young Pope. But I he was a hot that. young Pope. He was right? God, even though he fucked the nanny, which is so cliche. He was a very hot Pope, but I want to see him portraying this Pope, the succubus fucking Pope, the succubus fucking Pope. Uh, and so, one last note, and maybe a bit of an awkward transition into this week's questionable witchy practice. Uh, is that supposedly both succubi and incubi have ice-cold genitalia, which is the funnest of facts, is it and not? And also such a turn-off. Like, ow. Yeah, that's why they have to paralyze you before they I do mean, before yeah. they before they do the business. Um <laughs> so yeah. So yeah. And uh speaking of ice cold vag and wieners, uh do y'all know <laughs> what spectrophilia is? I've heard of her. <laughs> Tell me more. So, in my research about sleep paralysis demons, succubi, and incubi, I came across the Wikipedia page for spectrophilia, which is, wait for it, the sexual attraction to ghosts. <laughs> And not just of the Patrick Swayze variety. <laughs> no, I mean, if it was just Patrick Swayze in Ghost. Uh, that's that, fair. That's, we all get it. That's pottery fun. is sexy. Pottery is sexy. But no. So, of course, I did have to do a little more digging and find that there is a small but dedicated community of people who actively try in the year of our Lord 2021 uh, to to hook up with ghosts, uh, and so to you people, I say y'all really do deserve to get possessed at that point. But I want to know why. Why are we trying to fuck ghosts? And to all of you loyal listeners out there, I say do not try to have sex with a ghost. Okay. Uh, moving on. But also, if you have had sex with a ghost or have tried to have sex with a ghost, please let us know. I do. Uh, I, I like some details. I, I would like to know. So if you have had sex with a ghost, I do want to hear all about it. But I personally cannot put my stamp of approval on people trying. Yeah, yeah that's going to be a no for me, dog. <laughs> like, uh, no. <laughs> so, um, which brings us to our sleepy time themed deity profile and so i am super pleased you guys to have the honor of talking about hypnos the god of sleep 
And uh, I, I love it. And I just have to say that every time I see hypnos, my brain just um, automatically goes to hypnotoad. So I'm going to have to adjust my my mind. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> I'll hail hypnotoad. I'll hail the hypnotoad. That is correct. Uh, but I can't go very far into his story without first kind of talking about how badass his family tree is. So hypnos is the twin brother of Thanatos is the god of death and they are the sons of nyx the goddess of night and erebus the god of darkness so nyx is an icon in her own right i mean and the goddess of the night would really have to be wouldn't she of Uh, course and i'm just throwing this out there that i think her deity profile should be soon Um, Mm, striking while the iron is hot but uh, she was also the mother of Giras, old age, Eris, which is strife, and Sharon, who is the boatman who carries souls across the river Styx into the underworld. And I just love that it's pronounced Sharon. Like, oh, I'm yeah. just imagining a middle-aged white lady as the boatman. <laughs> right. Yeah, with like a with like a coiffed hairdo uh, exactly. and, and pearls. Uh, and absolute, a cardigan. And a cardigan. She's cold. Okay, it's cold in the underworld. <laughs> it's cold in the Olive Garden. I need a sweater. <laughs> but here, everyone's family. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but uh, another important fact to note about Nyx and Erebus is that they predate the Titans and therefore the gods themselves being directly descended from chaos, which is what predates the universe. So before the universe, there was chaos and the goddess of the night and the god of darkness are directly descended from chaos so um i think that's pretty cool but they do predate the gods at mount olympus and so they're more like primordial forces of nature than true gods and even zeus and the olympians kind of fear them Uh, And this does come into play later on, so do put a pin in that. I have to say, it makes me like them more, that Zeus is afraid of them. Yeah, but I think it's, okay, so, but this happy little nocturnal pantheon, if you will, um, unlike the Olympians, are very tight-knit. And it actually seems that the god of sleep and the twin uh, of death has a pretty wholesome upbringing, even though they lived deep in the underworld where no sun or moonlight could ever reach them. So I, I, I feel like they're sort of like the Greek god version of the Adams family, you know? So they're like spooky, but wholesome. So, I love that. I love that vibe. And I, I would also say that Angelica Houston's Morticia is kind of what I imagine Nyx would be like. Oh my god, yes. And can I just say that there was this like thing going around the internet like suggesting Rami Malek as Gomez in any future live action remakes and if that were not the case I would be upset because he looks just like the original Gomez, right? It, it's very true. And that it's would be that, that would be a very good casting decision. But Angelica uh, Houston, Morticia, Nix, yes. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Right? I, I, it's just, I see it. I can't unsee it. It's in I my head. I don't ha- want to unsee it. It's, it's in my head now, you know. 
Um, and she's such a badass too. But uh, but cool origin story aside, Hypnos ends up being the god of sleep, which is actually kind of pretty high up in the pantheon because sleep takes up a good third of the average human life, at least. And so Zeus and the Zeus and the rest the rest of the Olympians kind of knew what was up. I mean, literally, if you're spending eight or more hours a day asleep, that's a uh, it's a pretty powerful guy. You know, yeah, that, that's a that's a chunk of time. Like the guy in charge of that, he's got some sway. He's got some sway over things. So before we actually get into the myth, like let's talk about who Hypnos was aesthetically and culturally. So Hypnos and his twin brother Theranos are often depicted as handsome young men both holding inverted torches, symbolizing their relationship with the night and darkness. But Hypnos also has his own iconic accessories as well when he's depicted on his own. So in these instances, the inverted torch is sometimes replaced with an empty horn of opium, which is what he would kind of sprinkle over the world at night to make people go to sleep. Or sometimes... That was replaced by a poppy stem, which was dipped in the water from the river Leith, or Leith, depending, uh, which is the river of oblivion. So, like, clearing your mind, like, no thoughts, head empty. That, that's the vibe of the river Leith. And uh, a poppy dipped in the water would, you know, bring, bring you to sleep. Um, and, but that river originates in... Hypnos, oh, oh my god, Hypnos's cave. Uh, so lots of river stuff going on with his family. You've got Sharon, who lives on the river Styx in a boat. Uh, you've got the river in Hypnos's cave. So, you know, it's a it's a family thing. They're really in, it's it's moist. They're really into rivers. Um, <laughs> but he also has wings, uh, which are sometimes growing out of his eyebrows, which is certainly a choice. Uh, but that some- feels like such an iconic like drag thing. Like, which drag queen is gonna have eyebrow wings? These are these are the questions. Uh, so sometimes the wings are on his hat, and that is kind of more in line with like the way the Greeks would present the gods. You know, like Hermes has the wings on his sandals, and you know they like to put wings on accessories. Uh, and then sometimes they just have them, you know, in what I feel is the normal position for uh, being a human-shaped thing with wings, which is uh, on your back like an angel. Um, but oh, and a fun fact here about Hypnos is that unlike some of these mythological characters, and Nyx definitely comes to mind, uh, that were sort of the objects of art and poetry but not really worshipped in any practical way. Um, There is a strong record of Hypnos worship. Uh, There was a temple devoted to both Hypnos and the Muses, um, who were reportedly very good friends, uh, symbolically linking, like, dreaming and creativity. Um, And I just, I have to say that I love that ancient peoples appreciated sleep as much as we do today. It's true. And there like, was we've always loved it. 
and it, it, it's nice. I mean, what can you say? It's like, it's the original drug, you know, before people had drugs, at least you could go to sleep. Yeah, you could get fucked up on your brain. Mm-hmm. But there was a whole hymnal of songs for insomniacs to sing to hypnos in the middle of the night to sort of petition for sleep. So these people were actively worshipping. There was an active culture of hypnos worship. Uh, and, you know, in all of the great Greek tragedies and epics, uh, you know, when something bad happens, people beg for sleep because it's the only thing that will relieve them of their pain. And uh, yes. I'm sorry, you mean what I do every single night before <laughs> bed? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> the sweet, sweet embrace of, of sleep. Just a little bit of death. At just the a, end of just every a little day. bit of death. It's the twin of death. It's not death. Uh, <laughs> just, ju- just death adjacent. Right. A little death as a treat. Um, but no, so, <laughs> but so, but it's not exactly like some backwater spirituality. It is like a vital and respected deity in his own right, uh, which is something, you know, I do like to just put out there for you guys. Uh, so onto the legends, though. This is the fun part. So probably the most important legends about Hypnos involve Zeus, Hera, and the Trojan War. Obviously, a huge deal. The Iliad, the Odyssey, all about the Trojan War. It was a big deal in Greek culture, okay? So, this part of Hypnos's story comes to us from the Iliad and Hesiod's Theogony. So, not pulling this shit out of my ass, okay? But apparently, Hera really wanted to get involved in the Trojan War because she was pissed that Zeus's son Heracles had sacked the city of Troy. So, she devised a cunning plan to seduce Zeus, which that's a band name right there, Seduce Zeus. Uh, And while he was all relaxed post-coitus, Hypnos would make the king of the gods fall asleep so she could whip up a storm and ruin Heracles' trip back home, which works out perfectly, except that when old Zeusy boy wakes up, he is furious. And Zeus does not like being tricked at all. So he chases poor Hypnos all over the world, and he only escapes by hiding with his mother, the very scary, the very intimidating, as portrayed by Angelica Houston, Nyx, the goddess of night. So who, you will remember from earlier, predated even the Titans and was so powerful that even Zeus knew he could not stand up to her. And a fun side fact here is that Nyx was known as the destroyer of gods and men alike, which is so badass. So Also big Angelica Houston energy with that. <laughs> so yes. <laughs> uh, but so uh, after his harrowing escape, Hypnos wants to wash his hands clean of the whole thing and really just not be involved because unlike the Olympian gods who were always meddling in human affairs, Hypnos had a real job to do. And so it was seen as something of a cosmically neutral figure along with his brother, you know, sleep and death being the great unifiers. Everyone sleeps, everyone dies. So he's kind of neutral. He wants to be neutral. But Hera, of course, ends up needing another favor involving her asshole husband. So 
she heads on down to the underworld and Hypnos is like, no way, absolutely fucking not. So she offers him, apparently, the world's nicest chair, which is made out of gold with a matching footstool, which is described in great detail because chairs were apparently a very big deal in ancient Greece. Yeah, I'm like, wow, I didn't know that we needed a four-page description of a chair. But But here we go. But this chair was the best chair. So, you know, it's really, it's the, it's the, best chair you're you're you know it's a big deal for greeks to have chairs apparently but even then he's like no can do lady literally the only reason i'm still alive is because zeus is scared of my mommy and so in a very cool and very consensual agreement she offers him the love of his life pasithea who is the youngest of the graces And uh, so Pasithea is the personification of relaxation and meditation, as well as hallucinations and visions. So put a pin in that, because it will come up when we talk about their kids. They do end up having kids. Spoiler alert. So he agrees and makes Hera swear on the river Styx with all of the gods of the underworld as witnesses that Pasithea will be his bride if he helps her put Zeus to sleep one more time. So, with the entire underworld against her, if she doesn't hold up her end of the bargain, her hands are kind of tied at this point. So, he does end up helping her, because again, she's going to give him the love of his life. And it's kind of the same plan as the first time around. So Hera is going to seduce Zeus, And Hypnos is going to put him to sleep while he's all blissed out after hooking up with his special lady. Uh, Which all goes according to plan, and then Hypnos leaves to tell Poseidon that he can help the Danon forces, which changes the course of the Trojan War to Hera's side of things, and leads to a victory, which, you know, is the story of the Iliad and the Odyssey, Um, and y'all can read that on your own fucking time. Uh, But this time, though, either Zeus never catches on that he's been tricked again, or he knows that there's really no point trying to mess with those spooky nighttime people and just goes on about his life. And so Hera has to keep her end of the deal, and Pasithea and Hypnos are married. And even though it happened through like a pretty shady deal, things seem happy and well for the new couple. Uh, There doesn't seem to be any... Persephone-style drama about having to live in the underworld, and they do end up having children together successfully who were also gods, minor gods, in their own right, uh, which combines the powers of the dad with the sleep and mom's power of visions and hallucinations. The three brothers are the gods of dreams. And This is a name most people will be familiar with, which is Morpheus, who is the god of important dreams meant for kings and leaders and sort of like prophetic dreams about wars and and great happenings in the land. I love that distinction. The god of important dreams. Mm -hmm. And then the other two are are sort of for everyone else. So you have uh, Phobator, 
who is the god of nightmares and shows up in people's dreams as creatures and monsters and spooky apparitions. And then you have uh, Phantasos, who was the god of sort of the nonsense type of dreams and just like good dreams that don't really mean anything. And is, fun fact, uh, Phantasos, the name of the god, is the origin of the word fantasy, which is something fun you know you can just have that in your pocket for a dinner party you guys uh but so these three are classically depicted though as having huge demonic bat wings and flying out of their cave because remember they all live in a cave in the underworld um and are partially the basis for like the demons being depicted with bat wings in like later christian depictions of hell so you have like the demons torturing the, the lost souls and they have like the bat wings, and the pitchforks and, you know, the big bat wings really comes from the, uh, the Greek dream gods. Um, and that's really, I think, like the meat of the hypno story. And he does appear in numerous other myths, but it's usually because he's been petitioned to put someone to sleep. And uh, none of those was nearly as big a deal as the whole Zeus fiasco, which also is how he met his wife. So I think that's kind of like the, the nougaty center of the hypnosmith. Uh, and there you have it, folks, uh, this week's deity profile. Woo! I love and I do I do want to do that one about Nick soon, though, because uh, yeah. Angelica, Angelica Houston's Morticia... As Nyx is just, that's the headcanon uh, that's keeping me going right now. Oh, I love it. I'm here for it. Um, my Philodendron Brazil's name is Nyx. So here for talking about this lovely lady. Um, well, we're almost to the end, guys. And I was very excited because I'm doing the tarot scope today. And I have a message for our sea goats the sexiest sign of the Zodiac, according to me, a Capricorn expert. Uh, and side note, guys, if you have not been like made aware and you're living under a rock, the Dune premieres have been going on and they got a seven minute fucking standing ovation at the Venice Film Festival, which was amazing. But one of my Capricorn crushes has been fucking killing it in the fashion department. Timothy Chalamet needs to call me. But also, if you haven't, go look at like all of his and Zendaya's looks because I'm dead. Anyway, for you, my Capricorn babes, I've drawn the Madre of Water. So in my deck, the Madres correspond to the queens in traditional decks, and water, of course, corresponds to the cups. And Madre of Water is represented by oats. And on this card, you see an infusion of oat straws brewing on a sunny windowsill above a table holding a well-worn bottle of tincture and a jar full of oat tops. And in the scene as well, you see a woman holding her mug. She's got this really beautiful ring on it with a moon that I love. Um, and the mug has a whale's tail as a handle. And she's enjoying a steaming cup of tea while looking out the window over the ocean. So that's the scene on the card. It's like very beautiful and peaceful. The Madre of Water is like a master of self-care. She's kind and generous and gracious to others because she's first kind and generous and gracious to herself. And oat straw represents um, oat straw replenishes the land where it grows, right? Um, and oat straw is what's represented by this card. And so the mother of water takes time to do things like plant oat straw to replenish 
the ground where she gardens, right? So the Madre of Water is like really about like taking time to rest. But it's also a reminder that like when you do that publicly, you also inspire other people to do the same. Like oats can soothe frazzled emotions and the Madre of Water transforms tension into healing, right? So this card is about like embracing your emotions because the feelings you feel like help expand your capacity for compassion. But it's also a reminder to practice radical self-care. Capricorns, what can you say no to? And if you need the reminder, no is really just a yes to something else, even if that something else is rest. So please take some time for yourself. You're all high achievers and you also have a tendency to bottle things up almost to a point of explosion. So this is a really good invitation for you guys to like make some time for self-care. It doesn't have to be a whole spa weekend, even if it's just like a Valerian foot soak with a bag of marbles that you massage your feet in. Take that time to love on yourself because number one, it's important, but also you're leaders. And when you take time to take care of yourself, you also show other people that they can do that. So that's my message for you sexy sea goat babies. I hope you do take some time to love on yourself this week. That is absolutely lovely. I just love this deck, y'all. I'm obsessed with this deck. The Herbcrafters Tarot has been the bomb.com. Um, but yeah, we would love to hear from you guys. So you can reach us at Wands and Fronds Pod on Instagram. You can also email us at that email address, also Wands and Fronds Pod at gmail.com. We wanted to keep it easy for you guys. Nick has been starting off, I think, with a fucking bang on this cool new series that he's working on. So if you guys have feedback, we'd love to hear it. Or if there are creatures that you yes. want to hear about, let yes. us know. Also, since we've like officially made the switch to just calling this like an herbalism and magic podcast, if there's an herb that we haven't covered that you want to know more about, like anything you guys are interested in us covering, feel free to let us know. We love like, making this podcast for you guys like we do make it for you so if there's anything we can cover for you like please let us know absolutely and also i am interested to hear if anyone has fucked a ghost because i think (laughs) i think getting into spooky season my favorite season of the year i know we have a very cool interview coming up which features uh ghosts Mm, it's gonna be so good so i'd love to hear from you guys about spooky ghost stuff or sexy ghost stuff i guess Ooh, nick maybe that interview could be our first patreon offering Ooh, (gasps) i do like that guys we're gonna be sharing more soon but we've got new stuff coming for y'all But as always, leave us a review wherever you're at. Give us a follow. Download the episode. Not not a single one of you has sent us a bag of rubies or invited us to your chalet. Yeah, um, I was really disappointed in the lack of chalet invitations following last week's episode. So I need y'all to step it up, okay? Yeah, it'd be really cool if you can't do that to just give us a follow and nobody will get hurt, okay? Exactly. (laughs) Well, to all of you sleepy bitches out there, Nick, what do we say to these sleepy witch bitches? 
I say blessed be sleepy bitches. <laughs> blessed be you sleepy witch bitches. Goodbye. Bye now. Because I know it would be bad for you too if I got put in prison. It would. You can't, you can't afford that collect bill. Let's be no, honest. No, I can't. I can't. <laughs> I mean, honestly, what an inconvenience to me to have to, to have to pay to talk to you in prison. <laughs>